finding the right talent, strengthening relationships with customers, using analytics to create relevance with customers. Financial services leaders have some important decisions to make as they enter 2019. To add clarity and insights, we're talking through the issues this week with members of BAI's leadership team. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that will help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carloso, the managing editor of BAI. Come on in. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Fantastic to have you with us. We have three members of BAI's leadership team. Debbie Bianucci is the president and chief executive officer of BAI. She's been in financial services for more than 35 years, including more than 25 years at BAI. Carl Dahlgren is the managing director of research. Carl leads the BAI research line of business and product development for the enterprise. And Holly Hughes, the chief marketing officer at BAI. Holly has more than 20 years of marketing experience across diverse industries and leads strategic marketing planning and execution for BAI. And Debbie, Carl, Holly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lou. Thanks, Lou. Hey, Lou, it's great to be here. Debbie, in your recent executive report piece, you discussed the factors that have remained a constant in winning the war on talent, but 2019 will clearly see new external pressures. Tell us about that. So winning the war for talent is one of the most important priorities that financial services leaders have as we go into 2019. The industry certainly continues to recover from the financial crisis. It's been 10 years, but... We've had some recent setbacks with reputational issues for the banking industry. It's also very competitive outside the industry for some of the same talent. And so we see that as a major factor for banks as we look ahead into 2019. There is a high demand for skills, both in innovation and in digital transformation. People who are comfortable and interested and excited about being in a technology environment and in a tight job market, this is a really challenging time to be able to attract the best talent into our banks. Now, recent college grads, new entrants to the job market, they might turn their noses up at working for a bank, too stodgy, too conservative. What's the message banks should communicate to attract this talent? As a lifelong committed executive in financial services, I don't think of it as being stodgy and conservative, but I know some people do. <laughs> I think financial services has evolved a lot. And this industry has gotten much more progressive in the way opportunities are provided in technology and other aspects of banking. And maybe most importantly, the ability for people who come into this industry to be able to have a purpose for serving customers. Banks are really focused on when you go into a bank in whatever role that is, you can see how important it is to be part of a banking organization that will support communities in so many ways. Financial services companies can provide stability and job security for sure, but there are so many advancement opportunities. The ability to be associated with a quality brand, there's so much technology and innovation that's taking place in financial services today. 
And I think we get to work with great people. The people who work in the banks are great leaders, and it's a wonderful learning opportunity for people who want to be part of those types of organizations. Now, once banks land sought-after talent, how can they best groom these new hires for success? It's an important question because not only retaining your best talent once they join you, but also developing them for the future leaders of the organization is really an important priority for how banks look at their talent strategies and their commitment that they make to the development of skills and experience that's essential not only to what they do today, but to prepare these individuals for future roles as they move up in the organization, that's really important too. We see a lot of creative ways that that's happening. You know, I mentioned in the executive report a recommitment to rotation that some of the larger organizations are doing. It takes time, it's expensive, but it certainly is a means for building the perspective and skills and leadership abilities of high potential candidates who can ultimately move into the roles of running the banks. What should financial institutions do to retain talent, build loyalty, especially given today's job market? And is competition from outside banking playing a role? Well, a lot of people think that compensation is the most important part to not only attract but retain people. And clearly, compensation can't be dismissed. But what we see in our research, the commitment to professional development is probably the most important other factor. Those banks that do a good job of providing opportunities and matching them and personalizing them for the individuals so that they're able to maximize what they're able to accomplish from a career development standpoint, that really is meaningful in the way uh, retention can be improved and ultimately driven by the organizations. It's important because there are competitive non-financial opportunities for this talent. We have to look at where there are other opportunities for our best people to consider. So retaining them within the banking environment is important. Carl, it's your turn here. What must financial services organizations do in 2019 to up their game with analytics? And in particular, how can they better use data as an advantage? For customers, the number one way to improve their experience, as they've told us, is by delivering tools that customize their experience. In order to customize, you need to know things in real time about your customers as they're interacting. You do this through data. Customers want to know that banks are leveraging the data and that they have the data to improve their experience. Customers are so used to seamless integrated experiences when they're purchasing online now. We've been out and talked to banks and only 50%, so half of the banks, allow customers to open an account online if they don't already have a previous uh, relationship. So in other words, it's the customer coming to the bank for the very first time. Only 50% of those banks will allow the customer to open online. Now that's on the supply side, right? On the demand side, almost all millennials would prefer to open deposit accounts online. So there's clearly a supply and demand imbalance. And right now, the online banks are doing the better job of taking advantage of that imbalance. So two out of all three accounts that are opened online are opened online in an online-only bank. 
So, you know, they're just doing a better job with the data. And why is that the case? Well, there's risk, right? So there's risk of how do you know the customer that's coming and opening up the account online. But leveraging data in 2019 can help you address that risk. So it, one, helps address the risk. And two, it helps the customer have a more seamless experience when they're opening an account online. So data can help you know your customer. So what can financial institutions learn from fintechs when it comes to creating better customer connections? So interestingly enough, we've been surveying bankers and very, very few said that they have had learnings from fintechs that they would be implementing in the coming year. Yet two thirds of them said they're concerned from a competitive perspective about the pressures from fintechs. So there's a little bit of disconnect there. Fintechs don't have legacy technology like banks, so they tend to be more integrated right out of the gates. The good news for banks relative to fintechs is that banks remain the most trusted institution for all generations. So it doesn't matter the generation, banks are winning when it comes to trust for handling finances. When you start slicing that data is when you start to get some insights. And uh, for Generation X, 75% say that the bank is their most trusted institution. But when you get down to the millennials, it's 58%. So it's approaching that 50-50 tipping point. And so banks are losing ground in the trust factor as generations move on. The primary financial institution has about 50% of deposits, meaning in theory, a bank could grow 100% without having to add a single customer. So making things seamless and easy and by leveraging data is a great way for a bank to grow. So the good news is the incumbents have those data points. The issue is that they aren't necessarily in a technological position to be leveraging those data points. Also, learning from fintechs, be agile and always be innovating. So 90% of millennials say that they're happy with their banking app. So they're happy. But 50% said that they would leave their bank for a better app. So a more disturbing way of saying that is that you're one app away from losing half your customers. And so you can't just sit back. You have to make sure that you're continuing to innovate. There's more talk than ever about creating a better omni-channel experience for customers. What do financial institutions need to keep top of mind here as we head into the new year? So Lou, this number blows me away. Millennials use all channels within a bank, and they have 107 interactions a month with their bank, which is just an unbelievably large number. And when you compare that to the boomers, boomers have half that number. And the prevailing thought is, a misguided thought, is that millennials are digital, and they don't use the traditional channels. Well, if you start breaking that down into the channels, millennials actually use the branch and the call center, so the in-person traditional channels, twice as much as the boomers. Almost five interactions per each one of those channels per month. And the number one way that millennials suggest that banks can improve their customer experience is by improving omnichannel. So they're using all these channels and they want all those channels to be integrated. And as I had mentioned before, the bar has been set by their other experiences outside of the banking industry. And so they're just looking for a seamless process online. And finally, Holly, in your executive report piece, you discuss empathy as a key to better developing customer relationships. Help us unpack what empathy means for financial institutions in 2019 and how it impacts the bottom line. 
You know, empathy is all about understanding and really sharing the feelings of others. And money is a really emotional topic. It can bring great joy to people. Dreams are built. You know, you need money to fund a lot of the dreams people have. But on the other side, it can also cause a lot of anxiety. So I think empathy is so critical for anyone who's interacting with a customer, whether it's a call center person who's helping someone with an overdraft situation, who's extremely stressed out, or someone who's planning for retirement or a major you know, investment down the road. It's really important that empathy is built in there. To go to Debbie's point in terms of engaging people more within financial services, you're not just selling products and services. You really are helping someone with their financial health, their financial future. So a lot of good opportunity, I think, with customer experience, as well as employee engagement to really use empathy within the financial services process. What are some of the biggest growth opportunities banks have to build rich customer relationships? One of the big opportunities that we see is around the customer journey as it relates to customer experience. Carl shared a lot of great stats from our BAI Banking Outlook research that we've done. I'll share a couple more that I think are really relevant. We asked financial services leaders, you know, where are you at in terms of documenting the customer journey across your organization? And only 11% said that they've documented all customer journeys. There was another 29% who have mapped some, but 60% haven't mapped any. So it's really hard to understand the customer experience if you haven't really documented, understood what all those different steps are. And really, where are the pain points? Where's the friction? Because that's where a lot of the opportunity lies. I recently read a really interesting article by Harvard Business Review that talked about the importance not just of documenting it and talking about it, but of helping employees, leaders experience it. Now, you can't just have them go and open an account. They do that, and honestly, they're going to get much different service than your average person would. So that doesn't really help understand the customer journey. So there was a really interesting example in the article from a company that provides utilities in Michigan. So they were noticing that a lot of their low-income customers weren't paying their utility bills in the winter. So they worked with IDEO to really break down the customer journey, what was happening. And IDEO went and talked to some different customers in Flint, Michigan, and they found that the customers were very confused about the billing process. It was very opaque, hard to understand, and they were getting hit with a lot of charges that they didn't expect and then weren't able to manage their money and pay for their electric bill. The leaders of the company were coming in for an update on the progress that they had made. And when everyone arrived, they gave each leader a number of goldfish crackers, which seems a little odd. (laughs) And they said, these are your resources for the day. If you want to take the elevator up to the meeting, you need to give us three goldfish. If you want to take the stairs, there's no fee. So right away, they started realizing that they would have to make choices with some limited resources. It was amazing that it really stuck with the leaders. It helped them think much more differently about trying to navigate a system when you don't understand the rules. So I love that example of the customer journey is important, a lot of benefits for customer experience, but think a little bit differently, too, about how you tackle it. And I thought that was a really innovative way, and banks could borrow that example and document their journey in some different ways. So who in financial services has cracked the customer relationship code? Maybe you can give us some examples of what they're doing. Lou, I think there's two really good examples um, to share in this space. One is Umpqua Bank. Umpqua has always been known for providing really great customer experience. And what they came up with was an interesting app called GoTo. And some people have likened it to some of the dating apps out there. 
you're not looking to date your personal banker per se, but you're looking to connect with a banker whose experience, background, even hobbies you resonate with. Umpqua is just very innovative in general. This allows someone, if they've got something that's a little bit more immediate, a little bit more top of mind, they can go ahead and via secure text, send a note to their go-to banker. And then their go-to banker can work on that while they're going about their life. So I think that's a great way of using technology in this omni-channel world to improve the customer experience. Another organization that is doing a lot of great work here is USAA. With our BAI Banking Strategies work, we talk about USAA quite a bit. A recent example of innovation there is when Hurricane Harvey hit last year and really devastated the Texas Gulf Coast. They very quickly came up with a technology to take data from aerial photography as well as information from government databases, and they could show pre and post images of those areas that were devastated. So at a time when you know, people were evacuated from their home, very emotional experience, they were able to show empathy, come up with a creative, unique solution to go in there, assess the damage, and more quickly help get the claims processed and things like that. I love that example as well. And USAA was recognized as one of our most innovative banks with the BAI Global Innovation Awards. Another really good bank, I think, for financial services leaders to keep an eye on and challenge themselves. Fantastic insights from all three of you. Holly, Carl, Debbie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Lou. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, Lou. The BAI Leadership Team. Debbie Bianucci is President and CEO. Carl Dahlgren is Managing Director Research. And Holly Hughes is Chief Marketing Officer at BAI. You can look for them on LinkedIn. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one, winning the war for talent is one of the most important priorities for financial institutions in 2019. And there are new factors that will have an impact, including high demand for skills and digital transformation and competition for talent. So let prospective hires know that when they enter the industry, they will make a difference for customers and communities. Number two. Leverage your data, leverage your data, leverage your data. The number one way to help customers is to customize their experience as BAI Banking Outlook research shows. But if data is not available to suggest offerings or create seamless experiences, customers will get frustrated. And number three, money is an emotional topic. Employees need to bake empathy into everything they do. When done the right way, it leads to broader relationships and better customer retention. Also consider the customer journey. BAI Banking Outlook findings show that 11% of financial services leaders have documented all their customer journeys, 29% some, and a shocking 60% not any. Welcome to Decision Time where our podcast guest walks us through a major decision they had to make, how they made it, and how it has impacted their career. Making risky choices on new product initiatives can lead to a downward spiral for organizations, along with that armchair quarterback taunt, I told you so. Here, BAI Managing Director Carl Dahlgren gives the skinny on the data, literally, and how small tweaks made along the way can make a big difference. So I was a new, from outside the organization, head of a line of business, and there were several product initiatives that were absorbing resources but not delivering financial results. And I made the decision to walk away from 
almost all of the initiatives. Not only was there previous investment in terms of dollars, but individuals too. So the senior management that had a stake in making those decisions still existed in the organization, and so I had to navigate through those issues. On top of that, when you're making choices like new product initiatives, you never know what the outcome's going to be. So I could have picked the wrong one. If that were the case, there would have been a lot of I told you so, and it would have been bad for the organization as a whole and all the people that are participating. In terms of what kinds of experiences did I draw on? I've had a fair amount of experience at startups pitching investors. And basically what you do there is you just really hone your skills on picking and evaluating good business opportunities. So it was good news in the end. Things worked out for us and we got double digit growth on the top line. And for me, it was, you know, first of all, make data driven, fact based choices. Always focus on what the market's telling you. And it's really important as a leader to make sure that you're confident about your choices, despite the risks associated with them. Big learning is trust in your capabilities, make data driven decisions, and be confident when you move forward with them. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast. We hope to have you back with us very soon. Be sure to check out our ever-growing archive of podcasts at BAI.org. Our producer, as always, is James Grady. Be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Lou Carloso, the managing editor at BAI. We'll see you soon. So long.